Welcome to Friends in Fiction, five best-selling authors and the stories. Novelists Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, Patty Callahan Henry, and Mary Alice Monroe are five longtime friends with more than 80 published books to their credit. In 2020, they created Friends in Fiction to provide author interviews and fascinating insider talk about publishing and writing and to highlight independent bookstores. These friends discuss the books they've written, the books they're reading now, and the art of storytelling. If you love books and you're curious about the writing world, you're in the right place. Hi, everyone. It is Wednesday night and it's 7 p.m. Eastern time. And that means it's time for Friends and Fiction. Welcome to our show tonight. We have so much to look forward to and so much to talk about. I am Patty Callahan. I'm Mary Alice Monroe. I'm Mary Kay Andrews. <laughs> I'm Kristen Harbell. And I'm Christy Woodson Harvey. And this is Friends in Fiction, five New York Times bestselling authors, <laughs> endless stories to support independent bookstores. Tonight, we are thrilled to welcome New York Times bestseller Pam Jenoff. Her new book, The Woman with the Blue Star, was an instant New York Times bestseller last week and hit the list again <laughs> this week. Tonight, we will be hearing about her new book, her research, and her inspiration. We'll talk about how she moved from lawyer to author. And of course, we will not let her get away without a writing tip. <laughs> but before we get started, we have such incredibly happy news. Both Mary Alice and Mary Kay have hit the New York Times. Summer of Cheers, the newcomer. Cheers. This Cheers. is this is really exciting. That is one heck of a list. So here, here's to my first hit, Kathy, Mary Kay, second week. And I want to say thank you to all of you for last week. Y'all came through. It was, I mean, what a party we had. If y'all didn't miss last week, go watch it because my daughters were there and it was fun. But also I want to thank every one of you here tonight for your support and all of you out there. Thank you. It, it's, it means the world. Yeah, and thank you to everybody who um, bought the book, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> that hashtag works. That's all yeah. we can say. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to drink a lot of champagne tonight, thanks to you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> in my and friends in fiction glass. Aw. Oh, yeah. And mine is, at, mine is at home. I'm on Tybee, so okay. I didn't think to bring it. <laughs> but you're drinking champagne, and that's what matters. Yeah. Where's your straw? Kristen Harmel informed us that when she had a party for, um, what was the title? It was such a great title. Um, the one with the straw. The champagne that came with a straw. Oh, 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 oh sorry. Pa sorry, I'm forgetting what I've talked about. Um, <laughs> Piper Heidsick. It was little bottles of Piper yes. Heidsick that came with their own straw. It was awesome. It was amazing. So, um, yeah, you just drank it right out of the little bottle, which, hey, Mary, which, which Mary Kay could do too. Just drink right out of the bottle. Okay, I cheaped out and bought this champagne, but how funny is it that this it's company, well, you know, they basically, I think, deliberately made it look like... Um, it looks like Vuv. Yeah. Vuv. Yeah. yeah. They totally, like... like Widow Clochet made it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, back on the track, you guys. No hot mass express tonight. We have a guest. Nope. Nope. Okay, speaking of gratitude, we want to thank Mama G. Kathy has been on the road for two weeks, and I think Mama G got her through, except for the time she found <laughs> me in the trunk of the car, scarfing it all down. I <laughs> love that picture. It never gets old. to be gluten-free. I love that. I love that. And a bit, we'll also be telling you about our featured independent bookseller of the week, Inkwood Books in New Jersey. And now we have something to show you. Are you ready? As you know, Mary Kay, Christy, and I all have winter books out in September and October. We saw my cover for Once Upon a Wardrobe. We saw Mary Kay cover for The Santa Suit. And tonight, Christy's. All right, Christy, take it away. I'm ready. Well, you guys, I'm so excited about this cover. Um, Oh, you know, I probably should have just done the cover. It was like kind of tiny, but anyway, um, it is super, super, super cute, but it's called it's Christmas and Peachtree Bluff. It's the fourth novel in my Peachtree Bluff series. I'm so excited for it to come out. Um, if you have not read the Peachtree Bluff series yet, it's about um, three grown sisters and their mother and a secret from their past that has the potential to reshape what it means for them to be a family. So in this story, um, all of the women are back in Peachtree Bluff for Thanksgiving and, um, there's a big hurricane coming, a late in the season hurricane, and um, they all evacuate and plan to evacuate, except Vivi, who is Caroline's 15-year-old daughter, inadvertently gets herself, Jack, and Ansley stuck on Peachtree Bluff during the storm of the century. So um, that's sort of how the story begins, and I'm so excited to share it with you. Um, also, I just wanted to let you know that if you um, purchase, if you pre-order the book tonight from Inkwood Books, which is our uh, bookseller of the week, this is really silly, but I had some personalized friends and fiction head scratchers I made, like these it. things. That's yeah, hilarious. because my sister-in-law had these, um, gave these to everybody for Christmas last year, and we like fight over them. We love them so much. And I thought, what would be more relaxing over the Christmas holiday season than to read your book and have your head scratcher? So if you order tonight, you not only get 10% off of all of our books, but if you order Christmas and Peachtree Bluff, you get the head scratcher. So I very exciting. I love that. <laughs> um, I'm actually full of good news tonight. I have another announcement. Is it another book? Did you manage to write another, like in the time since we last spoke yesterday? <laughs> or is it no. an event, perhaps? No, it's what we've all been waiting for. It's merch. T-shirts. T-shirts. Wine sippies, <laughs> travel tumblers, they are here and they're all available for purchase. We heard you. From our dear friends at Oxford Exchange and we will drop the links under the announcements on our Facebook page. But if you go to Oxford Exchange and type in Friends in Fiction, you'll find all of our merch there. So yay. Yay, I'm so excited. And Oxford Oxford Exchange has just been such a great partner oh, for us. And finally, so merch. I know you guys have all been asking for it for such a long time. For our parade essay this week, Patty wrote the Friends and Fiction essay, The Secrets <laughs> That History Hides. And it's so apropos for our guest today as she too finds the hidden stories that change everything. You know, and you know, all of us do research for our novels, whether it's interviewing somebody or digging through books or boxes or files. And when I was writing Becoming Mrs. Lewis, I found out about a cachet of hidden poetry that had been locked in a box in a closet in England. And I am not making that up. That is real. So I want to hear lightning round about one thing or one piece of information 
you guys might have found that shifted the perspective completely for your books. All right. Well, I think a lot of you heard me last week. It was my daughter, Greta, when she said, Mom, you have got to change the book. This is not working. You are (laughs) these young kids would think differently. And it just clicked. And I listened to her and I changed the way I wrote the younger generation. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I was writing the High Tide Club um, when my kick-ass agent, Stuart Krzyzewski, <laughs> pointed out an obvious legal technicality early in the plot that I hadn't considered. The plot of that book considers, uh, a, it has an, uh, an elderly lady, she knows she uh, has a terminal illness, and she calls my character, my protagonist, who's a lawyer, and says, I need you to come over and make a new will for me. And... Um, and she has her secret reason for doing that. But Stuart pointed out something that I hadn't even considered, and it changed the entire tenor of yeah. the book. It even altered the denouement. Isn't wow. it? Wow. It is. It really is. You know, I was midway through outlining The Sweetness of Forgetting, which was my 2012 novel, my first World War II novel, when I learned the story about the Muslims of the Grand Mosque of Paris helping save more than a thousand Jews during the war, which blew my mind and felt so relevant for today. And it completely reshaped the plot of the book. Yeah. Well, for me, um, in Under the Southern Sky, I read an article about hundreds of thousands of um, frozen embryos that had been abandoned, and it totally reframed the story. Wow. I mean, it is just amazing. You you yeah. think you know what you're doing, and then you find yeah. this one piece of information, and everything shifts. Yeah. I cannot wait to hear what Pam has to say about it. So now let's talk about our incredible guest, Pam Jenoff. And out there, just remember, if you have questions, we will be pulling live questions from the Facebook page. So just type them in and we will get to them, as many of them as we can. So Pam Genoff is a busy woman, a law professor, a mother of three young children, a former diplomat and a lawyer, and a Holocaust expert. She also happens to be a prolific and highly regarded novelist. She attended George Washington University in Washington, D.C. and Cambridge University in England. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> I that champagne bubbles. Slacker. Yeah. Upon receiving her master's in history from Cambridge, she accepted an appointment as special assistant to the secretary of the army. She then worked at the Pentagon and was eventually assigned to the U.S. consulate in Krakow, Poland. It was during this period that Pam developed her expertise in Polish-Jewish relations and in the Holocaust, which is something she's really you know, become known for writing about. So working on matters such as the preservation of Auschwitz and the restitution of Jewish property in Poland, Pam developed close relations with the surviving Jewish community there. And if that wasn't enough right there... Pam left the Foreign Service in 1998 to attend law school and graduated from the University of Pennsylvania. Such a slacker. Yes. I'm so bad about myself. You should have had a better guess. <laughs> she worked for several years as a labor and employment attorney, both at a firm and in-house in Philadelphia, and now teaches law school at Rutgers. Pam, li- Pam lives outside Philadelphia with her husband, three children, dog, cat, lizard, and bird. My kind of girl. Yeah. yeah. That is a lot of school, my friends. So welcome, Pam. <laughs> Join us, please. Hello, Hi, Pam. Hi. 
Thank you. And Thank congratulations you. on your second week on the New York Times. Thank our Mary Kay and Mary Alice. These Wednesdays are stressful, right? These Wednesdays are like, you stress over stressful. it. Like, I do all this like resilience messaging just, you know, because you don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> resilience messaging. I have to say, this is a moment for friends in fiction. At this moment, there are three New York Times authors on the show, That's which right. is pretty cool. On this week? Yeah. yeah. I mean, for this week. Yeah. For all yeah. New York Times, but for this week on the list. Yeah. It, you know, it's company. It, no, it's awesome. And it's been so funny kind of going or it, it, going through it as a friends and fiction group. We're all so invested in each other that instead yeah. of just going through it and worrying about ourselves, we're like <laughs> deeply, deeply <laughs> invested in each other, checking, checking rankings every two seconds. But I'll tell you, it's a heck of a list. So to make it the first it week is. is great, but y'all on your second week. Yeah, that's amazing. Kudos yeah. to you. Yeah, I will follow Mary Kay anywhere, including. So Pam, speaking of your instant New York Times bestseller, The Woman with the Blue Star, can you give us the elevator pitch before we dive into our more in-depth questions for you? Um, sure. So when, I don't know about you all, but when I go looking for a story, I'm looking for that gasp. I'm looking for my aha moment. And especially with the war, if I get an aha after 25 years of working on World War II, I'm hopeful that readers will feel the same way. So for this book, the aha was discovering that there were Jewish people who spent World War II in a sewer. And I don't mean like they just passed through the sewer on their way out. I mean that they lived in that sewer for more than a year. And hearing this, I was just so struck. I thought, you know, how did they live and who helped them? And I was particularly taken by the story of a young girl in the sewer. And one day she looked up through the grate and she saw a girl her own age buying flowers. And she was struck by this disparity between their lives. Her mother said to her, someday there will be flowers for you. It was a kind of pledge. And so yeah. taking that story, I imagined what would have happened if the girl in the sewer and the girl on the street had had the chance to become friends and what that would mean for both of their lives. Wow. Um, a stunning amazing. moment. Yeah, so incredible. that's incredible. And I'm always fascinated with the origin story, which yes. it sounds like that was for you, which was hearing about that aha moment. And I once read that you said, the woman with the blue star is a novel that comes from so many deep places for me. The story originates, as so many books do, from my love and reverence for the people who lived through the Holocaust, born out of the years I spent in Eastern Europe working on Holocaust issues. And I love that. And along, I love that it comes from such a deep place in you. Yeah. And you have a master's degree in history from Cambridge. So do you consider yourself a historian or a novelist? Or is it hard to step away from the scholarly research and dive into the imagination? How do you balance that as a historian? Well, you know, I, and I'm going to answer that. But before I do, Patty, I love your book so much, especially around C.S. Lewis and around Oxford and Cambridge, you know, because that's sort of my that, you know, a big yeah. chunk of my heart is still over there. Um, so I did my master's at Cambridge and it was a research degree, which is super interesting over there because I didn't have any classes. I just basically was in the archives researching wow. for two years. And so 
what that gave me, you know, was the confidence because I wrote this big thesis to say, okay, if I can do this, you know, I can write a book, I can finish a book. And I love to get into dusty archives. I like the, you know, there was, there was not an online card catalog. It was like, you know, dusty shelves and all of that. So that's what I get from the history degree that I bring to my writing. I don't consider myself a historian in my writing. Um, I worry as an author of historical fiction. I think sometimes authors have gotten in trouble by claiming too much of their novels as real fact and real history. Yeah. And so I mean, always, whenever anyone says based on a true fact or based on a true story, I cross that out and I say inspired, inspired. by. Oh, I yeah. don't want to speak too large of a claim around what's real. Yeah. That's excellent. Yeah, and, and and I think there's always this balance of trying to put in all this interesting stuff we found and wanting to put it in without yes. making it sound like a history book. Right. And a big dump of information that stops yeah. the story. Which is the worst. Cool. Right. Yeah. That is absolutely nothing kills a, a novel faster than the dump. Right. Yeah. Agreed. All right, Mary Kay, you have a question? I do. You know, the ending of this book was such a surprise. But looking back, I can see that you've done this and you've done this in earlier books. And I'm thinking specifically of The Orphan's Tale, which, you know, Pam, you and I have talked about it. I just love that book. That book to me was it literally was a book of, of daring physically and um, literary. Literarily, is that a word? Can I make that a word? Well, isn't it? Literally. Literally. If yeah, you drink right, champagne, right. if you drink champagne, it is a word. Literarily show. Right, you're right. But you know, so what I'm wondering is what I'm wondering is when you started The Woman with the Blue Star, did you know how you wanted this book to end? In other words, I guess this is the eternal question we are always asking um, each other and our in our in our friends and other novelists. Are you a pantser or a plotter, even with even with historical fiction? Could you talk a little about that process? So I'm glad you set up the term so I don't have to, but I'm I'm team pantser. There'll be a caveat in a second. I'm going to I get am shocked cover. with that. Really? I am, I am I have to go blah for months in, in random oh. order and it's terrible. But what so I don't know when we say at the beginning and did you know the end? There's almost no beginning, no end. Like it's all kind of finished at the same time. But I start with an idea. An image, right. and then I have some idea where I'm going to wind up. And along the way, there's these high moment scenes that I think of as lighthouses that kind of will guide the path. So, yeah. I without giving away anything, I sort of knew, but I was surprised on this one. So, I said I'm a pantser, and I feel obliged to elaborate before the next question. When I turned in this book, I turned in a really horrendous book. Um, I turned in a book that, after 11 books, my editor, who I love, was like, "No." And so I rewrote 95% of this book in five months. And wow. So I, I, can, I believe it. I believe yeah, it. You, yeah. you know, so the reason I say that is because I am now somewhat of a plotter in that I do a chapter outline at the beginning just to make sure I'm not gone in the wrong direction. But most Those of the characters will lead you astray, won't they? They do. They do. Okay. I have down the path. <laughs> Okay, so I, one more question I'm going to sneak in here. I don't think I'm supposed to, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, I don't want to give away too much of the plot, but how much fun did you have writing the character of the evil stepmother? <laughs> evil stepmother, right? Oh, um, you know, it's interesting. Um, I think I had fun. I think it was fun. I 
I don't always like my evil characters, right? I like, yeah. but I do like my less likable characters. Like you give me someone who's kind of prickly and thorny, like that that Bob Chit in the sewer, that grandmother, right? Oh, that no. is really fun yeah. for me to write the difficult yeah. people. Um, the stepmother is sort of a character born out of necessity. So when I tell you I had to rewrite this book, the first draft was only written from one point of view. It was Sadie oh, in the sewer. Like we have to know Ella and what makes of her worse. And once you know Ella's the girl on the street, and once you know her family situation where she's been left with a terrible stepmother who's consorting with the Nazis, you start to see a fuller picture of her. Mm -hmm. Ah, that's interesting. And you can start it with the Nazis. You're immediately a bad person. <laughs> you are. You are. Although I try and give them a full treatment. <laughs> yes. You know, like bad character, bad character. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, oh, go ahead. <laughs> it's you. It's me. It's you, Mary Kay. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I even have my script in front of me, but I'm just, I feel like I'm talking too much and I don't want to step on. Oh, that was such a good no, got no. enveloped in it. I, I just um, want to hear so much more from Pam. Okay, Pam, every week we support an indie bookstore. This week you've chosen Inkwood Books. I know a little bit about Inkwoods. Can you tell us why you chose them? Sure. So I live in Southern New Jersey. Um, so, you know, a mile from, despite the fact that I've lived all over the world, I'm a mile from where I grew up. My mom oh. is in the same townhouse down the road that she, that I grew oh. up. And so, oh, wow. yeah, nice. so I'm, I'm very wow. much many years. We did not have an independent bookstore in our area. I was at one hour from any book. You, Mary Kay, you and I have met at main point books and that's yeah. the closest indie. So when Inkwood opened in Haddonfield, which is just about three miles away, it was such a revelation uh, for, for us, you know, locally and to have an independent bookstore. And our owner, the owner of Inkwood, Julie Bettingfield, is a wonder. During the pandemic, she, when everyone was shut, she moved. She was scheduled to move to a bigger store and she took that leap and she moved. Um, wow. The community That's just really great. loves her. So her yeah. sister owns the Inkwood. I think it's in Tampa. I don't yeah, now that one, that one, unfortunately, um, her her sister um, closed a couple years okay. ago. Ste yeah, yeah, Stephanie. But um, I didn't did know about that. Yeah, yeah. but I think and that was then, one of the last signings there. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, yeah, they, those sisters are great. I love their spirit and their heart. Yeah, it's an amazing storm. And what I do is if people want books for, you know, when I go there, I go, it used to be before the pandemic, I'd be on the way back from Wegmans, right? So I'd have a car, <laughs> yeah. I'd have a car full of groceries and she'd say, we have books for you to sign. So oh. yeah, I go in there and sign the book. So yeah. That's a nice relationship. It's oh, very that's wonderful. So to all of you out there, the link for Inkwood Books in Haddonfield is on our Facebook page. And remember, you get 10% off with the code Friends Fick. So Pam, I am dying to hear about the research you must have had to do for this story. So I thought it was tough writing a novel set deep in a Polish forest, which is my upcoming one. But the idea of setting part of the novel in an underground sewer system, that blew me away. Can you tell us how in the world you did that research? Sure. So I will tell you the good parts and the bad parts. So the okay. good part is, you know, as when you write historical fiction, that sometimes you luck out and there's a really good source or text. And there was yes. a wonderful nonfiction book called In the Sewers of Lviv by Robert Marshall that detailed the physical setting very well. The, wow. the size of the pipes and how they got water and the various perils that they faced. It was all in this book, which was great. Wonderful. 
I moved my story from Lviv, Poland to Krakow, Poland. And I had to, first of all, make sure the sewer was still plausible. And then I said, I'm going to Krakow. And I lived in Krakow, but I had not been back there in 17 years. So I booked myself this glorious trip to Krakow and I was scheduled to leave on March 11th. Oh, oh. Oh, oh no. Yes. The pandemic was like bubbling up. Everyone was going, Oh, I don't know if you should go. And I said, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going to wear the mask and I'm going. And my flight got canceled. Thank goodness. Because the next day I had an emergency appendectomy. And so oh, I would have been to Poland. Um, so I never got to go and walk <sighs> the ground. But the wonderful part, the last good news part, is that all of the lovely friends who I still have in the U.S. consulate, Krakow, had been helping me plan this trip. They pivoted and helped me get in touch remotely with my sewer expert, my city expert, Whoa. my language expert. And they did this for me as their own city was shutting down for COVID. Oh, oh that's incredible. very special. Thank you. Oh, wow. Well, I, I mean, the research just comes across so beautifully on the page. And, you know, like Mary Alice was saying, sometimes, you know, there's always that risk of putting too much in, but you struck that balance so perfectly and just brought that world alive. You, you just, you're so good at that. And it's, it's hard to imagine you weren't physically there. I know. Like I'm going. I'm, I owe myself a trip. Unfortunately, I'll probably have to take everyone with me because they're getting to that age. But oh, I'm right. going. I'm going back. Pam, before you came on tonight, we were talking about Patty's essay um, for Parade this week, mm-hmm. which was about finding one fact or a small piece of research that shifts a story completely. Was there anything you discovered in your research for this book that changed the story in some way or that kind of stopped you in your tracks and, and made you tell a part of it differently? Well, there's there's several pieces of this story because, you know, it was not just one family. There were all of these different people. And while, while I'm not writing any one person's life, I write composite characters. There are these pieces that are just so, so moving that you have to include them, whether it's the girl who looked through the grate or the fact that someone gave, someone gave birth in the sewer. That was a real thing. And I was very taken by the sewer worker who helped them. So imagine there's a sewer worker. He used to be a thief. I mean, his sewer worker was like his, his step to success and, and to a respectable life. He helped the Jewish people in the sewer. At first, he brought them food for money. And then when they ran out of money, he kept bringing them food and he brought them prayer books and reading materials. And he would have to go all over the city to get enough food without attracting attention. And he had a wife and young daughter. And so um, I'm always very moved by unlikely heroes like that. Me too. Oh, that's incredible. It really is. There's so many things that are incredible about this book, Pam. And the woman with the blue star is on many levels a story about surviving isolation and really importantly, our drive for human connection. And one of the two girls that we follow in this story lives, as you described, literally in isolation down in the sewers, below the street. I mean, that's a horrible existence. It's almost too much to comprehend. My question is, you were working on this novel during the pandemic. And I know I wrote my novel during the pandemic and it impacted my story, especially because so many of us realize now that one of the issues during the pandemic and we were in sheltering in place was our drive for human connection, Mm -hmm. how important that was. So how did writing this book 
during the pandemic influenced this story? And did sheltering in place, being isolated yourself, make it easier or harder to write this novel about isolation and connection? And did your isolation sneak into Sadie's character? Well, you know, the funny thing about my isolation is it was it perhaps even felt more abrupt, right? Everyone's isolation was abrupt, but I told you that I went in for this emergency appendectomy, right? That was the night the world shut down. And so I came home the next day from the hospital, my kids' school closed. I never saw them get off the bus the last day of school. Like it was just done and everything was shut and we didn't leave the house for six months. So it was this very like hard landing into COVID. Yeah. And in addition to the isolation, which I absolutely felt and I felt it when I was writing and our connections um, like Sadie and Ella's connection, because Ella, even though she's on the street, she's very isolated too. She's isolated mm -hmm. from her family and she's alone. So I definitely felt isolation in all my characters. I also felt that way that life changes in an instant, right? Yeah. Life changed for Sadie and her family. First when they went to the ghetto, but then when they dropped through that hole in the floor, the toilet hole into the yeah. soup, life was gone. Well, what about us last year? Nothing that yeah. we did anything close to the war or the Holocaust. But I was asking myself questions I never imagined about yes. how we educate our children and can I get meat and toilet paper? And so yeah. while we did not suffer the deprivation of a war in any sense, it was also that abrupt shift into yeah. isolation and survival that really struck me as I was writing. And that it had to leak into your work. Yeah. It had to leak into your understanding of what they were going through. Yeah. So I'm kind of curious, did that energize your writing or was it a, was it a, a, a problem when you were home with the kids trying to write, feeling all these extra pressures? So in a sense, I've always written in the pressure cooker because when I became a writer, I was a big attorney, a big a new attorney at a big firm. And so I always had to do like that five to seven run to work. Yeah. I've always written in the pressure cooker. The, so I don't allow myself writer's block, right? Because I always think, well, if I was an attorney and I said I'm not motivated to write a brief, I would be fired. Like you just do the job, right? So yeah. not that, it wasn't that the pandemic stopped me. The lifestyle certainly stopped me for months and months. Everybody's home. The kids are great. I'll tell you what stopped me was the puppy. We got a, we got a pandemic puppy. And I was sitting in my backyard going, I will never write again. Like, how do people yeah. do this? And I've discovered multiple authors, including myself, have discovered doggy daycare. And that's how you do it. But um, I didn't work for, I didn't work probably from March till August. And it felt oh, no. horrible. Like, I just felt like, ugh. And that's then a long time. Yeah. it was rough because I write every day. And so in September, kids go online for school, dog goes to daycare. And I sat down to write again. It was the best thing in the world, physically, yeah. mentally, everything. And it taught me we shouldn't apologize for our work, which we do so often as women. Yeah. That's yeah. true. What that a good is true. point. Mm -hmm. Thank you yeah. for being honest about that. Yeah, well, and speaking of, you know, moving from being an attorney to a novelist, and I think we've all transitioned from, you know, one job to another one at some point in our lives. So can you tell us about, you know, this epiphany that you had when you decided to switch from being a lawyer to being a novelist? 
Sure. And it wasn't, I don't know that I ever switched, but it was the epiphany that made me get to be a novelist. So I was a little kid who always wanted to be a writer, never short stories, never poems, novels. And my fifth grade yearbook said the next Judy Bloom, um, I showed to Judy when I finally got the chance, but, um, you know, um, so I always wanted to be a writer, but many years I was abroad. I was in school. I had all the time in the world to write and I never like got off the ground with, you know what I mean? with the project you never quite get it going so the turning point for me was 9-11 I graduated from Penn Law and I started working at a big city law firm um on September 4th 2001 it was wow one week later I'm sitting at this firm in Philadelphia while everything's happening and I had this life epiphany which I call dear god I don't want to die at the law firm. And I need yeah. to stop saying that because if you saw on my Facebook, the law firm sent me the most beautiful orchids today. I love oh, them. So I, I, them. Yeah. And I, I train baby lawyers like, happily. Like I, I teach law school. I love them. But for me, there was this other dream of being yeah. a novelist. And if I was had been a 9-11 victim, it never would have happened. So that yeah. was like my mortality moment. And then I took a course at Temple Night School and it was called Write Your Novel This Year. Wow. And wow. I started working on my first book. Of course, you all know it's not that easy. It's like five years and 39 rejections till you can walk into a store. But that was the moment when I got serious about the writing. We don't have a lot of aha moments in our life. And when they happen like that, like a thought flashes through your mind, yeah. I don't want to die in the law firm. Yeah. We either pay attention or Exactly. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. yeah, it's so true. Yeah. And I mean, gosh, yeah. we're coming up on the 20th anniversary, which is yeah. really unbelievable. So, yeah. 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 And I think that I really do think that this whole experience that all of us went through in the pandemic is going to be one of those moments where, where were you in the pandemic? How did you get through it? Yeah. What did you yeah. learn? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. How did you change your life? Yeah. How, how did, did you change, change your life? life? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, Pam, yeah. I think I think you just kind of summed it all up. Hashtag mortality moment. Oh, yeah. this year yeah, for that, sure. That's true. Yeah. yeah. That's and, our Mary Kay Andrews yeah. who loves nothing better than a good alliteration. I love alliteration. <laughs> and mortality hashtag, moment. Yeah. <laughs> hashtag mortality <laughs> moment. We should yeah. we should ask everybody what theirs was. But yeah. oh gosh, you know what? That is a great. Yeah. yeah, that is a really great question. Hashtag yeah. mortality. Yeah. What, what has anybody had a hashtag morality? More, more t- well, thank you for sharing yours, Pam. Because we go back to morality moment. You know what I love so much about that, though, is with all the loss that came with something like 9 11, something like you, Pam, that's something good that came out of it. Like that, that is something um, that. I, I don't know that when, when the world gets dark, there are opportunities for light. And that's great Absolutely. that you found that opportunity for light. Thank you. And I think we'll, we'll all find them this year, right? We're, we're we will. Well, that's a fiction, Pam. Yeah. That's how we started exactly. this little group. Exactly. Yeah. It's so powerful. Yeah. Thank you for all you're doing. My goodness. So speaking of our amazing friends in fiction community, <laughs> they have loads of things they want to talk to you about. Mary Alice, take it away. I will, and I have a question that Anissa Joy Armstrong, who always writes such good questions, she didn't fail us this time. She does. This book had intrigued me right from the beginning. The relationship between Ella and Sadie was very interesting, and so which one of these girls was the hardest to write and why? 
Well, it has to be Ella because I started with Sadie. But you know, as as authors, that when that other character kind of steps on stage and says, like, it's my turn, yeah. you know, that's like a great moment. It's really hard because it's not it who you started yeah. with, but you get to know them. So certainly Ella. Um, so she first of all, I relate to the disheveled character because I'm not put together in real life. Like I if there's a schleppy character, I'm all over that, right? And Ella's not schleppy. So <laughs> Very different from me. Like she's she's affluent, she's put together, you know, and she's sort of the, the non-Jewish character, which I write all the time, but she just had a different spin on the war. But I like to show the facets of war. So when I wrote my first book, I had this pause because I had a scene where people were at either the opera or the symphony. And I thought, how can I write that scene when we are, you know, 60 kilometers from Auschwitz. Like, how dare I? And the yeah. answer was because people really were at the opera yeah. or the symphony. And yeah. so um, I feel like that in this book, it's hard to write Ella's life as a person who's not being persecuted, but it's incredibly important to show that. Absolutely. Yes. It, yes. That's that real dynamic of balance, which was so great. Yes, thank mm-hmm. you. Um, Lois Simon Pauls, wants to know, and I think we I, we might have touched on this a little bit, but let's talk about it some more. Uh, Pam, what inspired your interest in the Holocaust, and what might you say about why you have chosen to stay with it throughout your writing career? Oh, and she wants to and she wants to add, thanks for doing that. Oh, well, I, you know, um, I've written a few books that were not Holocaust. I had two that were modern, one that was post-World War One, one that's been on the home front, but my heart is really still with the war. And it does come from those years I lived in Poland and became close to the survivors. And I regard my books as love songs to the people who lived through that most difficult era. I will say that one thing I really want to do with my books is I want to show the gray areas, right? I want to show the gray areas. people. I want to show the individual responses to war and catastrophe. I don't love using they in this context. When you say they did this, I want to know who they are, right? So I want to show individual response because if we can do that and ask our readers, you know, what would I have done? It's a super important question. The last piece, and I I know I go on forever, but the last piece is this. In the war, people from different backgrounds were brought together in these circumstances where they never would have met one another. And I love for the reader to meet a character that's not like her or himself. And if you can empathize across that divide, I think it takes away some of the otherness that we're experiencing in our current society. So I love it for the stories, but I also love it for what it gives us. Yes. Good answer. I love that. Such a good point. That's incredible. So this is a really interesting question from Andrea Arby. Um, She wants to ask Pam, but she also wants to ask Patty and Kristen. So when you're writing about a real person or event, how tied to the facts are you? When does it stop being history and become your story? Which I love. So can Patty and Kristen answer that? Because I actually, I intentionally do not write real people. I I, I can't do it. It's like a divide for me. No, I, I'm, I'm just saying, so maybe this is really a, a question for Patty. Like I, I have real characters who play like walk-on roles, you know yeah. what I mean? Like just to right. kind of, mm-hmm. you know, like, like the wine Fuhrer in champagne, that was a real person, right. but like, but, but the main characters are all fictional for me too. Right. Yeah. So in surviving Savannah, um, the, they were, they were about real people and in, and, and we'll say about real people and, 
Wild One, of course, was about Florence Nightingale, and Once Upon a Wardrobe is about C.S. Lewis. So, yes, I've written about real people. And I think <laughs> that the how tied I am to the facts is very when it comes to the bone structure. So if you're thinking about the book as a person, the bone structure is 100% factual. So I never sway from their birthday when they met each other, the things they did. But when it becomes to the emotional life, that's when I give myself a little bit more freedom based on fact. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it's a good answer. I have a much longer one, but it's not my show. (laughs) (laughs) No, it it gives me anxiety to think about writing real people because I always, you know, Mm -hmm. worry I'm going to get a little, little detail wrong and do an injustice to them. But yeah. Um, so, people give us a hard enough time, let me say, about the fiction right? stuff, right? You know, right. Um, about getting the history right around those people. So it would Thanks, feel like guys. Y'all are really helping my nightmares about the I was gonna real say, people I that, know, that, are I know. that are coming I know. out in 2022. Thank you very much. But, but Pam, <laughs> do you sometimes get those emails where people say like, oh, well, she wouldn't have done this. And you're like, well, yes, she would. I made her up. Like, she would do it because I made her do it. I know her. <laughs> so, about their motivation or about the history, Kristen, which, what are you like? Just uh, like j- just people sort of presuming to know the character, and you're like, she's in my head. She did right. it. <laughs> I have the opposite problem. People will say to me, ask me a question about like what happened off the page, you know, yeah. and I'm like, oh, I didn't write Whoa. it. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I don't have that in my outline notes. Exactly. So, Pam, Susan Schwartz Seligman wants to know what books and authors inspired you growing up? So I want to say hi to Sue, who is so kind to be at so many events and and just a really wonderful supporter of authors. It's great to see you again. Um, So I read everything. I was like the voracious reader. You know, I did have a big thing with Judy Bloom when I was little. Um, And then, you know, and all all the children's authors, you know, your Maud Hart Lovelace and, you know, your Beverly Cleary and all of the authors. And as we got into historical fiction, um, you know, a lot of the authors were male back then. And not Mm -hmm. that there's anything wrong with that, but I think of like the the historical fiction I read growing up and it was Leon Uris and James Michener and Herman Wook and like, and John Jakes and like those big books, right? James, yeah. Right, John Jakes. Um, but I read everything. Um, and, and, you know, so I'm happy to say I have readers on my three children, although one is different. I'm going on a tangent here. One of my girls keeps stealing all the galleys now that come in. So oh, she's not wow. yet 11 and she's swiping the galleys and I have to make sure they're like appropriate and okay. But she yeah. stole a galley this week of Jenna Blums and a galley this week of Kristen Higgins, like before I even got my hands on them. Wow. <laughs> oh my goodness. I have to watch out for the risque ones. You know what? Yeah. I'm going to tell you, and I think these ladies will like nod their heads in agreement to this. There are so many authors that have been on this show that said the thing that they think made them a great writer was that when it came to reading as a child, like nothing was off limits yeah, to them. That's a yeah. good point, Christy. Yeah. I, mean, I get horrified like when they when they pick up a book and then I say, wait a minute, you know, my kids are in fifth and sixth grade. I'm like, sixth grade? I was reading VC Andrews and Go Ask Alice. Yeah. Like it was yeah. oh my God. Yeah. Great, yeah. You know, so yeah. I think you're absolutely right. I just got VC Andrews. Who? That was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we all, yeah, we all did exactly. I know. Yeah. I know. I know those things in the New York Times when they in the New York Times they um 
they say uh, that they ask people what they're reading and they're always like, well, I'm reading War and Peace. And I want them to ask me that question. they be like, oh, I'm reading V.C. Andrews. Yeah. <laughs> right? I, know, I never believe half those right? answers. I mean, I feel like they did a Google and then put it in the book. So, yeah. <laughs> Pam, every week, one of our very favorite parts of the show, besides laughing with you, is receiving <laughs> a writing tip from our guests. And we can't wait to hear what yours is. My writing tip is quite simply to be very disciplined and protective of your time, right? Because even after all these years, no one, not my beloved husband or my sainted mom or my dear children say, oh, honey, why don't you go take some writing time, right? That doesn't happen. And so you still have to be very disciplined. Like I really try Mm -hmm. like not put the doctor's appointment. You you can get all that time eaten away at and frittered away. Find your best time and protect it. But you have to be flexible too. Like you can't be like, I must only write on the full moon on the Tuesday. You know, (laughs) sort of. You know, you have to have some flexibility because it's certainly changed and evolved for me over the years. Yeah, and and that's been such a tough balance to strike, especially this last year. I feel like you know, because it's like you know, I I have a five year old, and you feel like you have it down, and you feel like you have the balance and then COVID got in the way, right? Oh Completely yeah. That through our lives. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And adolescents forget it because like uh, I'm a, I'm an early morning writer and they all want to share at 10, at 10 at night, you know? Oh no. Yeah. I'm, I'm fast asleep Brace right yourself, now. Kristen. Nope. It's coming. <laughs> So, so Pam, I know you're such an avid reader and you're so supportive of other authors. You've been so generous with a blurb for me. Um, You're so generous to a lot of authors. Can you tell us if you have some books that you'd recommend right now that you're reading? Yeah. So um, there are two great books out this week that I want to give a huge shout to. One is Local Woman Missing by Mary Kubica. And the other is The Last Summer at the Golden Hotel by Alyssa Friedland. And they just came out this week and they're both fabulous. I've heard a lot about that one. Yeah, yeah this, really good. this month is chock full of stuff. Oh, so I know. Oh, my I've never gosh. Seen yeah. I know. Never my- see me in May again. This is way scary. It's like, ah, I don't. It's amazing. <laughs> and to think that the three of you have all hit and stayed on the list. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. So. I, I would love to mention another one that's new this week. It's from our friend, Wade Rouse. You guys, we hey, all Wade. know him. We all oh, love him. Dude. He writes as Viola Shipman. Um, he has a new book out this week called The Clover Girls. Oh, and all of you out there might remember Wade from Christie's Lodge episode where he played the dreamy Parker Thaisden. <laughs> and like I said, he's a friend to us all. And this is a book that's right up the Friends in Fiction alley about four best friends who met at summer camp in the 80s who reunite for one last summer when one of them receives devastating news. So it's wonderful and heartwarming. And like I said, brand new this week. Yeah, I wrote a blurb for that. And I was very Me proud too. You did. Yeah. You both yeah. did. Yeah, really yeah. Good. Such yeah. a good book. Yeah. Well, um, I want to recommend The Invisible Husband of Frick Island. Speaking Ooh. of a friend of yeah. all of ours. Yeah, I'm yeah. 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 absolutely. He will be on the show to tell us all about it. So I'm not going to talk too much about it. But um, we love her. We're so excited for this book. And um, it came in the mail with a koozie and my husband's been having his beer in it. So I'm like <laughs> thinking about this book a lot, but I just yeah, started nice. it and it's like impossible to put down already. So I'm very excited <laughs> about it. And the best, co- and uh, one of the best covers of this 
season. It's a great, great cover. And, and I believe, I believe Mary Kay, it matched some of your, uh, some of your pillows. Or your, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> which, yeah. which really is what all books should aspire to do, to match right. the upholstery yeah, in, yes. in a Mary Kay yeah, Andrews cottage. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of taking a book in every room of Coquina Cottage and matching book covers to the room. That's what that I'm thinking. Would be oh my God. Genius. I really like try to ever choose outfits when you're doing a, a live book yes. tour that match your cover? Yes. I, I'm just going with red. Red. It's oh, all just red. I want that fur collar. <laughs> okay, Sam, stick around because we have one more thing to talk to you about. Yes. But first, we want to remind all of you out there of a couple things. One is to check out our podcast. It is a lot of fun and it's we've added things that aren't just the show. So if you like hanging out with us here, you will love hanging out with us there too. Mm-hmm. Last week, Kathy and I interviewed Jen Hart of the Phenomenal Book Club Girl podcast. And this week, Kristen interviewed two writing pairs, Heather Webb and Hazel Gaynor, and also Christina Lauren. It will come out on Friday. And they have a new book out this week too. Christina Lauren has the soulmate oh, equation. So again, yes, it's like right. this amazing wow. month. Right. Oh, oh, sorry. Amazing. Somebody, I, I gotta gotta get faster. TBR files are getting bigger yes. and bigger. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, we also have a really exciting announcement on next week on our show with Nancy Thayer. It's a secret and we can't tell you yet, but it's going to be great and you aren't going to want to miss it. And don't forget that our merch is now available from Oxford Exchange, t-shirts, wine sippies, tumblers, all the good stuff. So don't it's miss amazing. it. Amazing, and, and they have such a great website. It's so easy to order there. I actually placed three orders yeah. today so I can vouch for it personally. <laughs> also, don't forget to join the Friends in Fiction official book club hosted by our friends Lisa Harrison and Brenda Gardner. So on June 21st, the book club will welcome Mary-Kate Andrews, our very own, Ooh. to discuss the newcomer, which they just started reading this week. And Mary Alice will be there the following month to chat about yeah. the summer of Lost and Found. So this is your chance to ask the author there's all your questions and really dig into the storylines while hanging out with a group of friends and fiction friends. You know, Kristen, so I didn't have a chance to tell anybody, but Brenda, who is a goddess of the book club, she's she organizes so it. She came again to my event last night mm-hmm. and she was so great. And she videoed my presentation. So it's up there on the, oh, on the Facebook page. Awesome. She's, uh, she's, she's so amazing. supportive. She so and Lisa both. Much love Wait, to we, Brenda we, yes. and Lisa. Oh. we love them. Oh my gosh we lucked out so much with the two of them Brenda and Lisa and we have over 6,000 members that's amazing amazing. they do a great job and can I just talk about what a book club is without snacks (laughs) you really cannot have book club without snacks so of course you will want to bring along Mama G's Mama Geraldine's why you talk about the newcomer Mm -hmm. we actually gave away bags of Mama um, Mama G's in the um swag bags at my launch party so as always yeah and as always you can get 20 percent off orders on their website mamageraldines.com with the code fat5 and do not forget hashtag snack on y'all Mm-hmm. You bet. Snack on, y'all. We also going to have fun next week. I am so delighted to host a friend of all of ours right here at 7 p.m., Nancy Thayer, with her brand new book, The Beach Reunion. Oh, 
Yes, got to make sure Reunion Beach. This is Beach Reunion. (laughs) And it's a wonderful book. She takes you to Nantucket. And the following week, Aloisa James and Sonali Dev are joining us. So we've got some good weeks coming up. And if you are ever wondering about our schedule, it's always on the Friends and Fiction website, as well as on the sidebar of events. So look on our Facebook page, events, and you'll find it there. You know, Pam, it's so interesting not only to know about your books and your educational background, but also about you. I think, honestly, I think we met at a, did we meet at a um, library event, an ALA event? You are good. That is our origin story, ALA. <laughs> ALA, 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 ALA yeah. And we've met many times since, but that was the first. Yes. Yeah. yeah, and I think, I think. You know, I think we just clicked, and and Lisa Wingate was also, I think, on that panel with us. It was really such a fun one. But one of the things we always like to ask um, our guest authors is, what shaped you into the writer you are today? What were the values around reading and writing in your childhood? Well, you know... I came from a pretty, pretty simple background. Like I said, my mom lives in a townhouse a mile away. You know, my brother and I are the first ones to finish college. Um, But there were always a ton of books and there was a bookstore called Encore Books. I still remember. I think it was like an early pre-border sort of thing. And and it was also also a paperback exchange, you know, really, we had free reign with books and I'm a crazy library person, like five libraries a week before COVID, you know, five different systems. And so just that constant exposure two books and having free reign to have those books certainly shaped, shaped me. And, you know, I think just, you know, I, with my kids, I just pull them onto my lap, you know, when they were little, I, I can still tell you is your mama a llama by heart. So I think those are the kinds <laughs> of values that really do it. Yeah. Wow. I love hearing almost every time yeah. that there's the word library. Every time, yes. I think we should get a bell. Ding, ding, ding! Every I time, know. <laughs> yeah. I was yeah. doing my curbside pickup. Yeah, you are okay. So, to all of you out there, we encourage you to grab Pam's "The Woman with the Blue Star," preferably from our bookseller of the week, Inkwood Books. And thank you, Pam, so much for being with us. We have been so honored to hear your stories and talk to you. You're amazing. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Pam. Bye. Come back to the Hotness Express. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Okay, we will see you in a minute at the after show. And don't forget to come back next week. Same time, same place as we welcome Nancy Thayer. Bye, y'all. Bye, y'all. What Yay. a nice date. She that was, was super fun. She's yeah, the best. Happy. She's so interesting. Oh my she goodness, is. she's amazing. I mean, yeah. from yes. I did not know her. This was my first visit with her. Poland. Oh, Kathy. Is she oh, yeah, oh, she's you, like, you, okay, I was like, maybe it's me. Freezing just no, I, I, no, yeah, I, I think Patty. you froze a tiny bit, Patty. Oh. <laughs> Am I I was trying to figure out where I met her in real life and I wanted to ask her, but we, I think it was at SIBO one year and I can remember like where we were sitting, like on these bar stools. I mean, we knew each other online, but it was the first time we like, you know, planned to meet up. 
I can't remember what city we were in. Isn't that crazy how they all start to like run? They all blur. Together. They blur. Exactly. Yeah. She's so accessible for all her um, obvious intelligence and, and degrees. She's so yeah. warm hearted, mm-hmm. which I love. Don't you love that when you meet someone like that who yeah. is yeah. so genuine? And she's so generous of heart. She, she is. Said, oh my God. Yeah, she read Becoming Mrs. Lewis, and we'd never met. She didn't owe me anything. You know, yeah. she just, she's generous of heart, too. Yeah, okay. I don't think it's I, about owing people. I think it's about no. generosity. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think she's also one of those people who realizes, like, when you get to a certain level, you send the elevator back down. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, 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 and that's a certain kind oh. of good. It's, it's a certain kind of person, and it's a good person. And that's I feel like... Time. I yeah. time I heard that expression. It's a very yeah, good it's, expression. It's, it's yeah. kind of a good way to put yeah. it, right? Like it I, I remember um, reaching out to her before, really before my books had become particularly successful. Like I'd had some overseas success. You know, my books were kind of chugging along here, but I'd never hit the New York Times list. I hadn't hit the USA Today list yet. And I didn't really know Pam. And I reached out to her right. and said, you know, I, I've seen this enormous blossoming of your career. You know, you and I have been doing this for about the same amount of time. Do you have any tips? And she said, let's get on the phone and talk. And I thought that was the Aww. most. Um, oh, Kristen, that's beautiful. It, it was it was beautiful. She didn't know me. Uh, and, and it was wow. a it was a, a very kind thing to do. And, and I, 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 I'll never forget it because it was just a gesture of kindness. That's insane. Generous of spirit. Yeah. yeah. It's no so. wonder her books reveal that. Yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so the Marys, how are you going to celebrate tonight? Yeah, (laughs) in my shirt, I'm I'm going to dance around in my shirt. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Oh well, I just want to really. I don't know what to do. I'm just gonna. I am just like I'm spinning. I really am because this was. I'm just so grateful. I think that's the only word. I'm just really grateful. I'm pleased and happy. You never we're take so happy it. for you. Well, I'll send you both a head scratcher. So I want celebrate. it. And you can sit, sip I your champagne and scratch your head. words for like how amazing this is. Like I cannot even tell you. You know, I would just like to point out though that you're doing that and your hair still looks beautiful. I would do it and it would like come off like I would look like Einstein after it. It would not. And my good. hair is so thick and wild. I don't even want to think. I don't even know if it would go through my hair. No, my like, hair is extremely thick and wild. Like the poor woman who does my hair. I mean, it, uh, it's hours and hours and hours. It's so thick. So I have to ask, Kathy, you're sports. a coquina. Are you a coquina tonight? Oh, you're in Tiger, yeah. right? So yeah. how is it going in that beautiful place? I've been following your pictures <laughs> and loving every minute of what, it. Are you so, spending the night at Coquina? Oh, we've been here. Tom was here has been here a week and I got down, I got home from tour Saturday night with Meg, God love her. Meg and I flew in Saturday night to Atlanta. She went on to New Jersey so she could see her son, Jack, go on and win the state championship soccer. And then I, and then I drove down to Tybee the next morning at nine o'clock the next morning. So it's coming along. I mean, now we're at the point where it's just like, Oh, we have to, um, bolt a, a bench to the wall so that guests don't fall over and sue us. And <laughs> so you guys I'm, are doing a test run of Coquina. That's well, it's like a thing to do. Yeah, yeah, it's like a it's like a soft opening kind of a thing. There you nice. go. So I'm, you know, I'm showers. To, I'm confused as to why we were not invited for this. I know. I wasn't going to say. I don't know. Do soft it's kind of awkward, Kathy. I don't I know. know. I don't think you. I, I think 
not really. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't think you really want to be here because there's a lot of. Um, well, that's what she says. That, there's a lot of uh, domestic uh, discussions. <laughs> discussions. <laughs> I'm wondering if we could use the word tension. Can we? I can use that word. Yeah. There's a lot of that. There's, there's a lot of going to, you know, every day I get in the car and I drive to Target. Every day I get in the car and I drive to Home Depot and the hardware store. And then maybe I go to Home Goods and then I go pick up whatever I've ordered from Amazon the day before. Mm-hmm. Is is no? Be honest. Is the Target stop really just to look at your beautiful face on the the, the screen above the books? Like oh, I'll have you again. <laughs> I'll have you. I'll have you know that I did not even wander into the book section in the Savannah Target today. Wow. They don't have the jumbotron, also, so there's nothing there. Oh yeah, that's yeah. hilarious. Well, is I, it less fun without me there in the cart, though? <laughs> no, I'm sure. <laughs> <not>. <laughs> Kristen, Christy, my favorite thing is people were like, how did she get up in that cart? And I said, well, she weighs about the same amount as a six pack of Coke. So her husband <laughs> picked her up and put uh, her in there. I actually believe you said a six pack of White Claw. And would you like to know how I know? <laughs> I did not see that comment, but my son's third grade teacher um, <laughs> oh, passed it along oh, to me. That is that's that's on her for knowing what white class right, I mean like at school with all the teachers and administrators <laughs> present so that's that was awesome. a he goes to catholic school also so yeah and you know my grandkids were catholic school too <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's excellent. I'm, I'm on board for that. I'm on board. Me too. Yeah. Okay, guys, I have some news. I, I, I have to share this with you. Okay. Y'all know my, I have Cavaliers. Yes. Right? And my cute little guy, Cosmo, he was, he's trying to be a champ. So he was, what's the word? Bred. Bred. To a sweet little girl. Mated. Mated. We just found out the little girl, her first litter, Chloe, seven Puppies. Wow. wow. You know, I have two friends I, that are chomping at the bit I for these I promise puppies. your mama, and now I've okay. got one to spare. Okay, good. Oh, wow. my good. gosh. These are going to be the most beautiful puppies, but they're born. They're due on my birthday, May oh. 25th, during book tour. Oh, my goodness. Oh, you know, God. when you have that many, you have to have the, the puppies delivered by C-section. Oh. And I have this, you have to know what to do when, when you're in there, that you yeah. have to be skilled. So not just anybody can help. So they give you the sack and we break it and rub those puppies. And that first 24 hours, you don't want to lose one of those precious pups. Oh, oh. My so gosh. we do, yeah. they're going to be little. So I have to do sub Q and, you know, gavage oh, wow. feeding. And that takes a lot of work. And I'm thinking, how am I going to do this during book tour? <laughs> oh my goodness! Oh, I've got, I don't know, but I'll take care of your mama's puppy, Christy. Babies oh, wait awesome. for no one. That's right. Babies they don't wait. wait. They we don't. might all have but to. I'm so excited. We might all have to chip in and come take care of puppies. Everybody pick up a puppy. I'm in. I'm in. I can think of. It's be beautiful. And, and I ain't birthing no puppies. I'm not stunned about birthing. <laughs> I'm birthing puppies. 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 I'
puppies. I'm and ha- puppies. happy early birthday, Mary Alice. Your birthday is just um, two days after my mom's. Uh, <laughs> oh, thank you. And I'm getting seven puppies for my birthday. That's a great <laughs> birthday gift. Yeah. yeah. But it's but also the day worried. the Southern Side of Paradise comes out in mass market. Oh, yeah. Actually, so. it's also the day the Book of Lost Names comes out in trade paperback. I forgot. Well, <laughs> I mean, it's Tuesday, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's like a big day. It is a big day. I've got yeah. something big to do that day. We've got, <laughs> we've got <laughs> Mary Kay, let's find something to Something big on the 25th. Open up Coquina Cottage. It's birthing puppies, Patty. Did you not get yeah. to know that? Oh, oh, no, You're all coming down to birth puppies. I don't know nothing about birthing no puppies. <laughs> I was waiting for that. <laughs> Our dog. Okay, you guys. What a night. Congratulations, right. y'all. Yes. Yes. Congratulations. Congratulations. Happy Bye. Thank you for tuning in. Join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live show airs every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. And please, subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram. We're so glad you're here. Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.